I heard that Charles Spurgeon said this. I never had read him saying this, but somebody said this not long ago. And it really hit me pretty hard. It said that Spurgeon said, we need to breathe the air of heaven. So I want to have a little heavenly breath today, what I want to do. We live in a sin-cursed earth. We all have lots of sorrow, all kind of sorrow. Man is born a woman in a few days and full of trouble. If all we do is look on the things of this earth all the time, what we see with our eyes, and walk by sight instead of by faith, we'll get very, very depressed. So I want us to breathe a little heavenly air today. You know, you go outside and you take a good old breath of fresh air, it does you a lot of good. And so we need to do that. We get our eyes down here too much, and we do need to walk by faith and not by sight. So let me give you a couple of texts. I'm going to just give a lot of texts today, so try to stay with me and maybe even take some notes if you want to. I'm not trying not to get too big a hurry because I've got a message I really believe God put on my heart. But the reason I wanted to read Colossians 3, those first three verses primarily, and let me say this. Some people say a man is so heavenly minded he is of no earthly good. That is not a correct statement. That is not a correct statement. The man that's the most heavenly minded will be the most earthly good. Nobody's more heavenly minded than Christ. And as far as tenor is concerned, I can't say anybody that did more good than the Apostle Paul. But I also don't know any man more heavenly minded than Paul. So while it's theological, it's incredibly practical to be heavenly minded. In fact, we really can't function well unless we are. And we tend not to do that because we do walk by sight so often. So we've got to stay in the Word of God, and we've got to be in prayer and try to be in the Spirit. So look at Colossians 3, and I'll show you what I mean when I say it's very practical. There are a lot of practical admonitions in the last part of that chapter, but he doesn't start out practically. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Think about that. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Seek the things which are above. Where Christ sits at the right hand of God, he's sitting there right now. Not too long ago, Timothy and my son and I were praying, and Timothy mentioned about something about the man Christ beside the throne. It just touched my heart. I know that all my life, but it just somehow it really got me. He really is there right now. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. There's a God-man in heaven today, and it's sitting for us. It's sitting right at the right hand of God. We'll see him face to face someday. Set your affection. Think about this. Set your affection. That's come effort there. Set your affection, the things we really like, on things above, not on things on this earth. For you're dead, your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Those are wonderful words. Then look what he said in verse 5. Because, see, I said it's practical. I want to breathe some heavenly air here. If I breathe heavenly air, it's going to give me strength. Then he says, mortify therefore. The therefore goes back to those first four verses. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. I can't mortify my members just by main strength. Sometimes I'll make resolutions to do better. And I, that's good to make resolutions. But I cannot do that by human strength. If I don't have the fellowship of God... It just doesn't last very long when I even try to fight my sins. So mortify, therefore, you remember who's from the earth, fornication, all the other things right there. But I've got to be heavenly minded. I believe we live in an age that's so busy that most of us don't try to be as heavenly minded as we should. We need to spend time. And I, I want to kind of get on one of my pet peeves. I go at Grace Chapel, and I don't know whether it would be effect, uh, applicable here or not, but I suspect it is. We've got so many devices now that like iPhones and smartphones and all kinds of stuff like this that we're so... Uh, not, we don't have much time to meditate. We've got music all the time, earbuds and all that kind of stuff, and so most people don't think very much. We need to learn how to have some quiet time with God every day and seek those things which are above. So let me give you another text on this now over in Second Corinthians. And remember, I'm, my text is I keep coming back to this theme. I want to breathe some heavenly air. Look over in Second Corinthians chapter 4. We find the same thing indeed here that Paul's talking about there in Second Corinthians chapter 4. And I'll start out with verse 4, I mean verse 6, one of my favorite verses. Because y'all know I love the doctrine of immediate Holy Spirit regeneration. And that's what's taught here in the sixth verse. We're born again uh, by direct act of God's Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. And he makes allusion to what happened in Genesis 1-3. He said, God, let there be light, and there was light. And that's the same way he gets us born again. He just said, let there be light in our heart, and there is light. So he said that in verse 6. 
For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, referring back to Genesis, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shine in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Then, immediately look what he says. If we have this spiritual light that God gives us, then he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, these old bodies of sin that we have, these old fleshy bodies. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Then what is the condition we're in? We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. I won't give all these Greek words right now. If I don't even have them at my fingertip, but I've studied this before. There's a big good study for anybody that wants to do this. We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are in trouble, but we're not distressed. We're perplexed. What does perplexed mean? I don't know what's going on. If you're perplexed, I don't know what's going on. What in the world is going on? I'm just kind of stunned. We're perplexed. Don't know what to do. But guess what? Not in despair. See, if we didn't have the Lord, we'd be in despair. We all meet problems sometimes. We can't meet these problems. We're perplexed. What in the world am I going to do? Not in despair. Persecuted, but what? Not for a second. Cast down. Often we are, but guess what? Not destroyed. Now, let's keep reading. Uh, because, well, I'll start now. I'm going to skip down to verse uh, 16 and finish out this chapter. I'm, same thing we had in Colossians 3. Seek those things which are above, breathing this heavenly air. So the context is we are born-again people living in a troubled world, all kind of troubles, so we've got to have a heavenly perspective to make it. Verse 16, For which cause we faint not, for though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. God gives us strength every day. You know, we sometimes want strength for next week, but we won't get that. We need strength for the day. Like I've talked to people who, I remember said to Peggy Penn, I don't know where you do her or not at the end, but said to Peggy Penn one time, a member of Raleigh Church, and she got cancer. And so, uh, but she was just in distress. She was afraid to die. And so I told her, I said, Sister Peggy, you don't need dying grace. You're not dead yet. But I guarantee you, I can promise you by God's word, when you need dying grace, you'll have it. She sent word to me, but right before she died, you tell me exactly it's right. I got it. So we don't need that kind of stuff. So see, we're, uh, we're renewed day by day. You know, we, we pray. He said, take no thought for tomorrow, because the evil of the day is sufficient thereof. We sometimes try to get tomorrow's problems and put them on our shoulder. We're just made for one day at a time. We've got to trust the Lord. So for which cause we faint not. Though our outward man perishes, yet the inner man is renewed day by day. Now look at these next glorious verses. This is the one I really want to get to. Our light affliction. Now look, that's a heavy affliction for you and me. Just like the affliction that Daniel tell about her daddy going through even today. Our light affliction is heavy for us. Let's look but he's looking from God's standpoint. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, from our standpoint, is a heavy affliction which lasts forever, right? Some are it's a heavy affliction which lasts forever from our perspective sometimes. Looking for God, our light affliction will last but for a moment, worketh for us, and I don't understand all this. I just know it means that the things that God can bring something out of good and that uh, all things work together for good to them love the Lord who, to them who are called according to his purpose. Working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. But here's the key verse. Look at this verse. I said, believe heavenly air. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are what? Temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. We need to breathe some heavenly air. Now, that's what I want to do. Now, I've got some news for you that's so good. It's, it's unbelievable, but it's still good news. It's the truth. Uh, can't be comprehended, but can't be believed. I, I read the expression not long ago. I liked it. Can't be, can't be comprehended, but can't be believed. So I want to, I've got to give you a test first of all. I'm serious about this. Before I get started on this heavenly air, this incredibly good news, this impossible to believe, but yet we must believe it because the Bible says it. Look over in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, a verse that kind of just goes in one ear and out the other sometimes. But I want to give you uh, this verse. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's all I want out of that. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? I'm, you ask yourself, don't, don't raise your hand. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're born of God. I mean, do you believe what the Bible says about Jesus Christ? Do you really believe that? In your heart, and ask yourself that question, because i got some good news if you do. Do you really believe what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, that there really was a human being born of a virgin about 2,000 years ago in the Bethlehem manger? Do you really believe that? I believe it. Thank God I believe that. Do you really believe that? It's not just some kind of myth. Do you really believe he was a God-man? What it says that in the beginning was the Word, 
the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same as it became with God. And then the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you really believe that? you really believe He lived on this earth for maybe approximately, they say, 33 years, somewhere around 33 years? You really, do you really believe He went out doing miracles? you really believe there's a man named Lazarus that was dead? I mean, dead, four days dead. And this man, this God-man, expected that Lazarus come forth, and he came forth. Do you really believe that? The Bible says that. Do you believe it, though? I'll ask you a question. Do you really believe he walked on the water? Do you really believe this man? This is always touching me, the song we have in our book about, you don't know what song it is when I mention this, but I get touched every time I read this verse, when the waves and the winds were raging, and he actually said, peace, be still, there's instant calm. Do you really believe that happened? Do you really believe that this one was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Being in that agony, he prayed the more earnestly. Do you believe that? Then do you believe that they crucified this, this human being, this human being? And he had seven sayings on the cross, and finally gave the ghost up. And they put him in a tomb. Do you really believe on the third day he came out of that tomb? And he showed himself by many infallible proofs, his disciples, for 40 days, that the same one who had been crucified was now risen and lived. Do you really believe in the book of Acts that they actually, some men, saw him, saw him, and they, he was caught up in heaven. They began to just gaze up there. Look at him. He just, I don't, he just went up into heaven, caught in the clouds. And the angel said, you men of Galilee, why stand you getting into the heavens? This same Jesus that you see is going to come back in light. Man, do you really believe that? And do you believe what it says in the Bible in several different places? He's sitting on the right hand of the Lord. And he's sitting there right now. Do you think that? And do you really believe he's going to come again on these days? Well, if you believe that, you're born of God, if you believe in your heart. So I've got good news for you. If you, if you don't believe that, I wish you, God would bring, bless you to believe it. I don't really have any good news for you if you don't believe that. But if you believe that, i got some great news for you. It's incredible news. Let's begin to look at some of this news. Now, this is going to be cumulative. This is going to be very cumulative and uh, just glorious. And I'm sure some of you could even help me do more than this. It's a story that's just, all, it's just too good to be true, but it is. Like I say, it cannot be comprehended, but it can be believed. All right, let's look over, first of all, in the 13th chapter of John. I'm going to go to, this is going to be cumulative, like I say. The 13th chapter of John, now, this is when the Lord Jesus Christ, on the last night he spent with his disciples, and he was washing their feet, and we know why he did wash their feet. It's a good message here, because we know we're all frail, and we mess up. But can you imagine these men who had actually been with him personally for three and a half years and were princes of his, and were godly men, except for Judas, and yet they were having a fight on the night he left about who could be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. So the Lord, what he did, he set the example of washing the feet. Did you know, the, like washing feet. But that's just the context. I'm not really interested in that message. But there's something incredible here. Because think about who was there that night with him. All of them forsook him, the Bible says. That same night, they all forsook him. Peter, in a very uh, aggravating way, forsook him. We know what he did. He actually denied him three times. and said, I don't even know who the man is. And we're cursing about that, making a vow, swearing, I don't know who the man is. That's the kind of people now he was washing feet with. But look what he told those people, brothers and sisters. It's amazing. I wish I had the liberty to jam this in your heart and mind, in my own material. I know it's here, and, I'm, and I've got, I get a lot out of it. But I wish the Holy Ghost would drive this in our hearts so deep that we couldn't believe it. Look at the 13th verse, the 10th verse. See, Peter and them didn't understand about washing the feet. What are you doing? And do you ever wash my feet? And then he said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And then Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, my hands and my heads. That's the context here. Peter's just going from one end of the spectrum to the other, like we do sometimes. This is amazing. Now, I'm telling you, it's amazing what I'm to read to you. Jesus said to him, he that is washed, get, look at that, he that, that literally is he that has been washed. In the Greek, there's two different washings here. This is a complete washing here, this first one. The next verse is a more of a partial washing, but I'm not really interested in making a big Greek lesson here, but that's the truth, though. He that had been washed, 
needeth not say to wash his feet, which is talking about our daily lives, I think, repentance, but is clean every whit. Get this. Every whit. And you're clean, but not all. Because he knew it. Brethren, he talked to individuals who were there going to betray him. He said, now you're clean. You know why? Because they're justified. They're justified. You know what justification is all about? You know, you heard it preached here a lot. Not guilty. And that's where you're at if you're one of his children. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're clean every whit. Now, you're not glorified yet. you still got sin, but you're clean every whit. I, I, I wish I could get that myself. He talked, he said, he, he had, you're clean, he said, looking at Peter, who's going to deny him. You're clean. Now, you think, well, Brother Zach, that kind of doctrine leads me to sin. It will not, it'll do the opposite. If you're really born again, it'll lead you to the opposite. You'll be so grateful for what God's done for you, you want to follow him out of love. You won't want to take advantage of that. In fact, Paul said that over there, when he said that the word sin did abound, the Roman letter, grace much more abound. What shall we then say then? Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we the dead to sin live any longer therein? See, when we get a hold on this wonderful forgiveness, it's going to help us in sanctification. So we need to really immerse ourselves in this. See, the devil doesn't want you to believe this. You know what you are by nature? You're all Armenians, and I am too. You're all Armenians by nature. That's the way we're made up. I know better than that because I've preached grace all my life. But I'm an Armenian by nature. I keep reminding myself of the Bible. I've got to clean my act up. I gotta get, God got to like me better. He'll like me better if I do this. He won't like me better. He's a lover. He, he loves me with everlasting love. Therefore, the loving kind of hell he draws me. And he'll chastise me when I don't behave myself. And that's because he loves me. I can't break relationship with God. I can break fellowship with God temporarily. But I can't break my relationship with God. I'm clean, my dear friends. I'm just as justified as I'll ever be. And you are. So I'm just as legally guiltless before God Almighty as I'll ever be. That's the truth. The Bible teaches that. So you're clean every whit. And you're clean, but not all. He's talking about Judas, the man who was not saved. Now let's look at some other scriptures. I said this is cumulative. And I'll just be hitting the high points. But I hope you'll believe the Word of God. Romans 8. The whole chapter is wonderful. But we can't do the whole chapter. But let's look at a couple of verses here. Romans 8. Heard a powerful sermon yesterday on the way down here on the uh, CD of Jimmy Fulmer preaching about this. And mentioned this verse. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Guilt is the opposite of condemnation. He's saying you're not guilty. They're therefore, talking to those Roman Christians who were sinners, but they're saved sinners, they're therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Then he mentioned who walked not after the Spirit, after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's just descriptive. That's not talking about works at all. That's not talking about conditions. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, my own conscience condemns me sometimes. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, let's look a little bit more. Look down in verse 18, because you have a hard time uh, in life, and I do too sometimes. Sometimes just say overwhelming. Overwhelming. That's why I want to breathe heavenly air today. I want to breathe some heavenly air today. We're in the world all the time. Let's, let's get some, we need to breathe some heavenly air. All right, look over in verse 18 for a moment. Just go skip a few verses in Romans 8. I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's an amazing verse. We suffer here sometimes. Sometimes it's sometimes unspeakable suffering, mental suffering, anguish. God knows about all that. And by the way, let me say this, brothers and sisters, he cares for his children. I love that word. You like that word care? I love that word care. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You know, I'm glad my wife cares for me. My wife does love me. I'm so glad Judy loves me. She cares for me. Sometimes I can be down. She just a kind look, uh, just a touch. She, somebody cares for me. Brethren, Christ cares for his people. He cares for you. See, Judy's interested in even my small things. She, we, we, we've been married now 44 years. We can read each other's minds. She can tell something wrong with me just by the way I look. I can't hide from her when, I have, when I'm down. The detail of my life, the, the minutia. She cared about that. Brethren, the Lord cared about our minutia. Our inward feelings, our outward feelings. He has the hairs of our head numbered. 
There's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether, Psalm 139. And not only that, I love another word, too. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He's touched. I'm glad when, isn't it good to have a person that's kind of kind-hearted, that they're touched? I love that, don't you? He's touched, my friend, Christ the man, the God-man, who has, was tempted at all points, like as we are, yet without sin, is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I love that song we sing, Does Jesus Care? Yes, He cares, like nobody else cares. Let's look down just a few more verses in Romans 8. Look down at verse uh, 31, and we'll read a couple of verses there. Well, I'll, I'll read, I'll read, I'm going to read there in just a few verses. I love this whole section. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Nobody can really be against us. And this is a verse. I love this verse. I've got this verse somewhere in my office. I've got where it is now. I mentioned a long time ago one of my favorite verses. Some sister put this on a plaque for me. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Get this. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect is God that justifies? Now, verse 33 and verse 34 go together. But I'll just read verse 33 first. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? A lot of people are trying to. The devil tries to. A lot of enemies try to. My own conscience tries to lay charge to God's elect. I'm going to read you an Old Testament deal in a minute about somebody that tried their best to lay a charge against God's elect, but the charges won't stick. Let's read this first, then I'll go to Numbers. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yet rather is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. That's a whole sermon there that I don't have the capability to preach. If I wanted to this morning, I wish I could. But you can read Let's read that again. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who, at the right hand of God, who also makes an intercession for us. You know, your conscience will accuse you. The devil's a false accuser of the brethren, by the way. He's always messing with us and accusing us, making us feel down all the time. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves, put them on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look over in the book of Numbers, and let's look at chapter 23. And this is an amazing thing, because you know, this is the story you know about. That uh, Balak, that old king, wanted to destroy Israel. Israel was coming into the land, and he knew that uh, he would probably be destroyed. So he wanted to destroy Israel. And of course, Israel here was God's Old Testament people. And the, there's a, I think there's a type and shadow here that represents God's elect people. So I think that the thing that happened here literally to the nation of Israel also would apply to us today that are true believers. And so he got this prophet Balaam. That's the 23rd chapter of Numbers. He had this prophet Balaam uh, had some kind of a supernatural power to curse evidently. This is, I don't understand all that, but he did. Anyway, uh, he tried more than one time, I think about three times to curse him. Really, he couldn't do it. I'm just going to read a little bit of this, get the essence of it. But I want to show you this when he tried to curse him, down in verse 12, first of all. Verse 12. Let's look, let's look, let's look eight through, I'm going to go 8 through 10. Uh, let's, let's look at verse 8. And you read this for yourself sometimes, if you will. Uh, verse 6, he said, Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people. He wanted the, the people cursed, Israel, the, Israel, the, the Israelites cursed. Verse 8 says this, He said unto them, Lodge here this night, I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me, and the prince, princes of Moab, a bow of Balaam. Now, Balaam was not a child of God. You can read that in the Peter and Jude. He was not, but he's amazing. He did preach some good sermons, but he was not a child of God. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent unto me, saying, Behold, there's a people come out of Egypt which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. This is a great verse. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Isn't that wonderful? 
But then let's go down to the, the real climax of this in verse 21. This is an amazing thing. Uh, it says 23, I want to go to 23. I want to go to 23 now. That, that's in chapter 22. I'm sorry about that. Let's go to 23 now. I'm, 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 that, let, me, let me go to 23 now. I'm, I was at, that's 22. I'm sorry about that. Let me read you 23 verse 8. Same thing. goes happen two or three times. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy those the Lord hath not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him, from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone, shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob in the number of the fourth part of Israel? And I love this expression. Let me die the death of the righteous. Let my last hand be like his. My friend, we're going to have a wonderful death. You know it. Can I just give a deviate for a minute? Chase a rabbit for a minute. This is not really chasing a rabbit. Can I chase a rabbit a little bit? This is a beautiful. I'm telling you something. Get a hold of this now. I used to pastor a lady uh, in Clinton, Kentucky, named Darlene Walker. She was sister Daphne Watkins' sister. And uh, she's a real quiet little woman. Didn't talk much. So one day she went to ride to Memphis with Judy and me to see her sister. So she'd been kind of talking a quiet way. I wasn't really paying attention to her. I kind of just meditated or something like that. And really wasn't being as polite as I should have been. But anyway, all of a sudden, what she was saying really got my attention. And her little quiet she said, Brother Zach, I thought a lot about the day of my death. And, of course, that got my attention. She said, you know what, Brother Zach? That's going to be the best day of my life. That's the day I go see the Lord. And she's right about that. Isn't that wonderful? My friend, the day, the day of your birth is not the best day of your life. The day you die, if you're one of God's children, will be the best day of your life. I preached David Wallace's funeral and said that Ripley, and I meant that. I said, it's not the best day of your life when David got killed, because you're grieving for him, and you miss him. But it's the best day of his life, and brother, it will be for you too. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. My friend, when we see the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll tell you what I think is going to happen. I think I can prove it, probably. Uh, I think the first thing we'll see is he's going to be smiling at us. Can you imagine that? He's going to smile at us. He has nothing against us. There's no condemnation. The sins have been removed. The Lord Jesus Christ has removed the sins. We're in fellowship with him. We've been reconciled by God's grace. The alienation is gone. We still live in these sinful bodies. All you'll lose when you die is your sinful nature. All the Hebrew children lost in the fiery furnace with their bonds. And all we'll lose is our sinful nature. And we won't lose that. All right, let's, go, let's finish this up now in the 23rd chapter here. Uh, the, the verse I want to get is this. This is the verse I really want to get at. This is amazing to me. Now, this is heavenly air. This goes with what we said in John 13, 10, that he that is washed is clean every whit. Get this now. Think about what he's going to say here in verse 21. Because Israel was a sinful nation, and Jacob was a sinful man. But look what he says in this verse, 21. He has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. Isn't that amazing? There's a lot of iniquity in Jacob. There's a lot of perverseness in Israel. But he said he's not seen that. Brethren, that's wonderful. Why? Covered by the blood. Covered by the blood. Blotted out. Blotted out. All right, let's look at a few more texts. See, this is cumulative. There's so much in the Bible about this. Look over in Colossians 1. That's why uh, I love this. I've been memorizing this book last year. This was, I don't memorize as much new stuff as I used to. At my age, it's a little harder. I do a lot of rememorizing, but I love to I've been memorizing Colossians. I got a lot out of it. And there's some shouting ground here in Colossians chapter 1, a couple of verses. It's going to be the same, the same thing I've been saying, just in a different way. Let's look over in, uh, let's just get a running start. Let's start in verse 20 to get a good running start. Colossians chapter 1. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Now get, we're getting down to it. Get your seatbelt on. And you, which were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he's reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Get this. To present you, get this, folks, holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. Do a study on those words. We know what they mean. Leave the good old King James tell what they mean. Do a deeper study. He, my friend, died to present me, Zach Guest, the, rat, the rotten old sinner. If you knew me like I already am, you probably wouldn't even like me. I don't even like my own self sometimes. 
I've got such a dirty mind sometimes I just can't believe it. I feel like the Apostle Paul would do good, able to pray with me. I'm a wretched man. Paul was he. I am also in actuality. But my precious friend, Christ, had presented me holy, unblameable, unreprovable. Where? Where? In his sight. In his sight. That's the Holy One who, according to Second Thessalonians, he come again, will destroy the wicked by the brightness of his coming. But yet in his sight, brothers and sisters, I'm holy, unreprovable, unblameable in his sight. That's shouting ground. That's the Bible. That's not a cunningly devised fable. All right, let's look at another one. Look at the book of Jude. This is also incredible. The book of Jude. Just one chapter, of course. But that thing ends in a powerful way. Look at those last two verses. This is amazing also. This is verse 24 and 25. Bessie 24. Now to him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you, get this, I've got to underline my Bible, faultless. Now to him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless, where? Before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy. That's kind of an understatement probably. I shouldn't say that about the Bible, it probably is. <laughs> I don't know what he would say. I don't, you, I don't know how you approve of exceeding joy. Listen, you can't imagine what it can be like one of these days. When the God's children stand before him, and uh, they name, their name in that book of life, and they're not guilty. Come, you blessed my Father, and prepare the kingdom, prepare for you the foundation of the earth. We can't imagine what joy that's going to be. Now to him is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless, 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 before the presence of his glory, the exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, the glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. All right, let's go to one more text, and I'm going to close out with one in the Old Testament. Look at Revelation chapter 14. Let's just read Revelation, and came across this verse one day, and just I said, I, I don't know why I hadn't seen that before. Revelation chapter 14. Now, you think about this for a minute. Again, this is a majestic book, as you well know. It has some heavenly scenes that are amazing that just show the majesty of the Lord. Uh, John oftentimes just fell down on his face before God when he saw the majesty of God. But, but this really got me. This, this verse, this is, look at verse 5. Talk about the saints. In their mouth was found no guile. Get this. Underline this in your Bible. They are without fault before the throne of God. That's incredible, isn't it? They are without fault before the throne of God. Now, let me close out with something. I want to go to Revelation, I mean, to Isaiah 55 to show you something. I sometimes, I think, take this out of context, which I think that's okay sometimes. I think that the principle taught here in uh, Isaiah 55. But if you look at the context, it makes it even sweeter. We know that God's ways and God's thoughts are far above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. We all know that, don't we? I quote that a lot of times, talking about the sovereignty of God. God's ways, God's thoughts are far above my thoughts, the heavens are above the earth. That's the true statement. But the context is, there's a specific context. Look at the context. See, what I'm saying is, you really can't grasp what I'm saying like you ought to. The Holy Spirit has to make us grasp this. You believe the Word of God. I know you do. But if you've got a hold of this, you don't know what it would do to you. Let me, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. But I want you to pray about this. I want you to pray for supernatural uh, assistance of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you an example of what I mean by that. In Ephesians 1, and I'll come back to this in a minute. I'm not going to forget Isaiah. But I want to make this statement when I'm thinking about it. Okay, in Ephesians 1... It tells this in verse 19, which I won't quote it right now, but if you'll read verse 19 around there, it tells us, it takes, and this is what the Bible says. If you believe in Jesus Christ, it took the same power to make you a believer as it did to get Jesus Christ out of the grave. That's, the, that's what the Bible says. If you really believe in Jesus Christ, God has exerted the same power in your life that he did to get Jesus Christ out of the grave. Read it for yourself. That's what it says. Well, I read that, and I'll believe it. But one time at Grace Chapel, Brother Bobby Poe was preaching on that. I'll never forget this. As long as I got a sound mind, he was brother, brother by preaching on this. And also, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't speak. He just couldn't speak. The reality of it sunk in so much, he just got silent. He went down and sat down on the front bench, Brother Arm. He sat down on the front bench. Were you there, Mike? You remember that? He got up again and tried again. Still couldn't do it. He just never could do it. That's where the whole Bible is. 
We just can't see it. What we need to do, God, open mine eyes. I may behold wonderful things out of our law. Listen, when you get to heaven, I'm going to promise you this. i got to promise you. You can say, Brother Zach told you so if you want to. Say, Brother Zach told me so. You can tell Apostle Paul if you want to. I'm going to tell you this. Just exactly like the Queen of Sheba, when she came to Solomon, she said, I've heard of all this down here. I've heard a lot about this. The half have not told me. You've heard a lot of sermons. You've read a lot of Bible. When you get to heaven, brothers and sisters, you'll be saying for eternity, the half have not been told. I promise you that. But we need heaven on earth, breathing heavenly air. We can get a foretaste of that. We're going to have it. We've got an inheritance waiting for us. This incorruptible, undefiled, that is not a way reserved for us in heaven. But now God says, we enjoy the earnest of that inheritance. I get a little piece of that inheritance now. And then we ought to covet that. Jealously guard that. Don't let the world get such a hold of you. Any kind of sin or just getting too busy to rob you of that. See, that's what happened. Let's, let's read Isaiah 55 and we'll see what he's talking about. Let's just read a few verses here in our, in our closing. Ho, everyone that thirsteth. See, the, that's the invitation of the Bible. That's who it's to, by the way, friends. I wish people would get a hold of that. He said, I came not to call the righteous to repentance. That's the self-righteous, of course. I came to call sinners to repentance. Do you feel to be a sinner? Then you're in good shape if you know you're a sinner. Because God came to call sinners to repentance. If you've got a will to come to Him, brother, that will came from Him. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. He works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. If you've got eternal life, we ought to be jumping up and down and shouting. I hope Bill Gates has got it. I doubt he got eternal life. I doubt if he got it. I hope he does. Because if he doesn't, friends, all those billions he got was not going to do him a bit of good. In fact, it could be they might eat his flesh as it were fire. Could be. If he hadn't spent it right. I know Betty remembers old sister. Oh, what's old sister's name? I've got now. Anyway, you know who Sister Bruce. I remember she died. That some rich man died by the same time she died. I thought, I'll let Sister Bruce a richer than that guy is because he didn't sow very many, much evidence to be a child of God. My friend, God has chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and as of the kingdom, which He has promised to them that love Him, James says. Isn't that good? Rich in faith is what we ought to be. And Herman, we ought to nurture that. We ought to feed that by reading the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Be in the Word of God much. You can't grow unless you're God's Word. Hear it preached. Meditate on it. Read it. Memorize it. Sometimes you don't want to do that because the devil keeps you away from it. Keep on persisting. See, I had, I had the same problem, even though I'm a preacher. I've got that problem, Herman. Believe it or not. I don't want to read the Bible sometimes. I don't guess I want to face myself, probably. I'd rather read the sports page. It doesn't matter the hell it anyway. I'll read a World War II book, because I know we won that one anyway. No kidding. You have that kind of problem? But when I make myself get in God's Word, I'm always glad I did. And I get food. I have been, sometimes I get food more than I think I'm getting. Breathe that heavenly air, folks. Walk by faith, not by sight. That means that's not some kind of a mythicism. That means being the Word of God and the Holy Spirit applying it to your hearts. Look at Isaiah. Are you thirsty today? Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, we sure don't have any. Come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. What an invitation to poor old people who are broke down, have nothing. Wherefore do you spend money? And I'll ask you that. Are you doing that out of where you are not? Are any of you doing that? Wherefore do you spend money that which is not bread? These activities you're engaged in that don't build up your soul. And your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me and eat ye that which is good. Let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me and hear and your soul shall live. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you in the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God, if the Holy One of Israel. 
for he has glorified thee. Then a few more verses. And I want you to do this. I want to do this myself. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You remember the song of Solomon, folks? The, the picture there of Jesus Christ in the church, the beautiful bride and her handsome husband, who is Jesus Christ. You remember the song of Solomon. You remember one time he came knocking on the door. You remember that? And she hesitated to come to the door. And so he left. And so she was, she was distressed. So she went out to try to find him. That's happened to God's children sometimes. My friend, you need to take advantage of the time when God did it with you. See, like Martha and Mary, sometimes Martha, Martha, you're troubled about with too much serving. Mary had shown that good part, which is still the fate of Jesus Christ. When Christ comes to you in a special way, drop what you're doing. Spend time with him. Spend time with him. He may do like sometimes he does. If we don't do that, he's a jealous God, you know. He does not want you to share his affection with other people and other things. And so sometimes we do like that little bride did, the little bride to be, the little lover. We do that. I've done that before. He's knocked on my door with my heart. But I'm too busy for him. So then when I finally decide to get up, he's left. I've got to go try to find him. So he says here, look, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now this is glorious. This is, the rest of this is glorious. It's all glorious. Let the wicked forsake his way. And we may feel to be wicked, and we are sometimes. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And that's what maybe you ought to need to do. I don't know how far you are from God, but we ought to return to him. And he, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. And then he says the word for the connective word. That's why I said the context is important here. That seems to be too good to be true, doesn't it? Have you ever been with me, folks? I've been so cold, I thought I'd never experienced the presence of God again. Have you ever been there? Let me tell you something. I lived at Clinton, Kentucky for a while. And so G was there with me, of course. And so I had been in some kind of sin. I'm not going to specify what it was, but I don't even remember, really. I just know I was out of fellowship with God. I remember that. And I was putting on a front. I had to keep on doing my duties, but I just didn't feel the presence of God. And so Judy went back to Memphis uh, to spend a few days with her parents when I was there by myself. I'll never forget this long I live. Let me show you the importance of the Word of God, the wonderful, wonder, the wonder of God's Word. I want to encourage you today. And the wonder of the Holy Spirit applying it to your heart. So I'm in bed miserable, just absolutely miserable. You know, kind of like in the Deuteronomy, you talk about the guy said, or maybe it's Exodus, when you're in the morning you wish it's night, and night you wish it's morning. You ever been there? I've been that miserable before. In the morning you wish it's night because you don't want to face the day. At nighttime you can't sleep, you wish it's morning. I've been there before, that miserable. Maybe y'all haven't. That's about where I was. And guess what the Holy Ghost did? He gave me a verse. He gave me Hebrews 4.16. We have a great high priest which is passed in the heavens. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We may obtain mercy. Find grace to help in time of need. I said, Lord, here I come. I jumped out of bed. I can still feel the old cheap linoleum carpet on my knees in the wintertime. But brother, I was about an hour down there and a dam broke. I back in fellowship with God Almighty. My friend, he said that. But you have a great high. Priest, which is in the heavens. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We may obtain mercy. Find grace to help in time of need, brethren. We sometimes feel we'll never feel God's fellowship again. But we can feel his fellowship again by his grace. Again. And so he's so overwhelmed. And that's why I'm overwhelmed. My thoughts, God, God, you can't do that to me. I've done too much. I'm too far down. I've grieved you too many times. You don't you, you fellowship me anymore. Peter probably felt that way. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, says the Lord. For the heavens are high above the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts than your thoughts. Brethren, that's in the context of God's Wonderful, forgiving grace. I tell you, I want you to breathe that heavenly air. May God bless you.